The following podcast is a proud member of the Blue Collar Roots Network. Find all the shows by visiting bluecollarroots.com. Here's the president and primary owner of True Tech Tools, licensed engineer, and the nicest BS artist you will ever meet, Bill Spone. Welcome back to another episode of the Building HVAC Science Podcast. The goal of the Building HVAC Science Podcast is to help create better, more knowledgeable HVAC and building performance technicians by helping the two professions to better understand each other with the ultimate goal of making customers happy and healthy in the homes they live in and the buildings they work in. Happy and healthy. Listen in today as we chat with Cheryl Seco, a professional with a mission to dispel myths, create awareness, and empower both professionals and building owners. Cheryl is the one-stop source of knowledge, education, and support, having been through mold exposure and illness with her own family. Yes, today we're talking about avoiding mold with Cheryl Seco. She describes as how as a licensed architect and industry educator, she's providing strategies for professionals, building owners, and individuals to better deal with water damage, mold, and toxins in buildings. Her past responsibilities include five years as Midwest Regional Director and Senior Technical Director for the wood industry in North America. She brings tenacious research abilities, analytical thinking, and experience to the topic of environmental health while sharing design and construction solutions that make a difference. You can learn more about Cheryl and her work at either CherylSeco.com, and the link is in the show notes, or at AvoidingMold.com, which is science-based and expert-guided building education for homeowners and professionals. You can also email Cheryl at Cheryl at AvoidingMold.com. This episode was recorded in December 2020, so listen in as we speak with Cheryl about avoiding mold. Good morning, Cheryl. Good morning. So where are you calling in from? Where are we talking to you from today? I'm calling in from the Chicago area. Chicago. Okay. So is that climate zone five? I believe it is, but we're kind of across the board. Yeah. We're climate zone five. I'd like to first give the listeners a little bit of background about how you came to this point while we're sitting here talking on this podcast. Yeah, it's kind of a crazy story, actually. So I'm a licensed architect. I have a master's degree in architecture and an undergrad degree, and I've been licensed for over 30 years. I'm not saying anything beyond that. That's the last time I'm going <laughs> to... I'm never going higher than that. It's always going to stop there. For over 30 years, and I have a really diverse... It's been a diverse and interesting road. I started in doing high-rises, and then I actually did a lot of residential when I was raising my kids and needed to focus on my family. And then I had a stint after that of working with the wood industry in North America as a senior technical director. So I basically was preparing and presenting and teaching, educating my peers, architects and structural engineers and code officials on technical topics related to structural wood in commercial buildings. So when you're looking at that, you have to know about everything else because the people that are coming to their presentations are people who are doing steel and concrete and a lot of other things. So I did that for five years and that's where I started doing the education piece. And then along the way, I left that and then I was going to actually do that as a consulting to control my schedule, do that as consulting. And along the way, about 16 years ago, one of my children got very sick from toxins in our building. And so she had full-on asthma, inhalers at home and in school. And we had moved into this building like six months before and I inspected it. 
see anything. It looked good to me as a 50s house. And then I went to an AIA CEU presentation on molding commercial buildings. And I've learned things that it was serendipitous and maybe divine intervention because I came out of it with the knowledge that one, you can have mold and ductwork. Like it's metal. Why would you have mold and ductwork? I didn't know that. That the health symptoms and that the things that could happen, you weren't necessarily just running, your eyes are itching and your eyes are running and that you walk out of the building and you feel fine. Whoa, it's definitely allergic to that building or there's something in there. Know that it's much more insidious for many, many people where it's a gradual process where your body starts becoming immune compromised and that the symptoms, one, can be different for everyone. Different people in the same household can have different or no symptoms. So some people are just the canary in the coal mine, if you will, that they're just more sensitive. And I would argue that maybe they're blessed because they are the one who gets to know and maybe alert the rest of us, just like a canary. If canary is going to die in the coal mine, the coal miners know they got to get out. Because if you know that story, they brought the canary down into the coal mine and if toxic air or fumes were coming into the coal mine and the canary died because it's little and sensitive. Then they would be like, whoa, we're next. Out, everyone. Let's get out of here. Save the workers. I question whether those people that are very sensitive now that sometimes are ostracized and they're not believed, but maybe there are canaries that we should be saying, okay, yeah, they're one of those and maybe we should be paying attention. So in my case, my daughter had inhalers at home and school. My started having migraine headaches and, and she was sick everywhere she went. Why would I think it was my house? She was sick at school. She was sick at her friend's houses. She was sick at restaurants. She was sick outside for heaven's sake. She would have reactions. So it never occurred to me. And then through that process, I realized that we did in fact have aspergillus in our ductwork and went on to hire someone to clean it based on the research that I did that turned out to be a scam. <laughs> realized it when they were doing the work that they were a scam. They had the cameras and everything. It was all looking really good. And I, I called their references. Interestingly, some of the references had told me that they didn't feel any different after it was done. So now we know why. I realized that they were keeping me talking and not doing work and caught them in something they said they did that they didn't do. Basically threw them out. They blew dust all over my house, which is full of aspergillus mold and proceeded to clean it wrong. Do all kinds of things wrong. Not realizing that one of my children was really sick. Well, I, have, I raised four kids. They all had something different. One kid was like breaking things. I'm thinking, is this what happens when boys go to high school? They like get testosterone violence things going on? No, that's something called mold rage. Another one of my children ended up with ADD. I had an autoimmune disease. My husband ended up later with another autoimmune disease. So what I believe is that everybody's bucket fills up at a different pace. Everybody's genetics is different. Everybody's ability to detox toxins is different and how it affects them is different based on their genetic differences. And so more research, <laughs> trying to find out like, who actually knows about this? And for me, I, okay, now I got to learn how to do duct cleaning. Basically what I did. I thought I hired somebody that knew what they were doing. They didn't. So now I have to learn how to do it so that I can find someone that's going to do it the right way because it's unregulated. It's mostly unregulated. I don't know of anywhere. There's some associations, but it's the person I hired was associated with the association that they're supposed to be associated with. That was a scam. So that's where I started learning. And so then I went back to doing my other things. My daughter recovered completely in about a year. We were able to clean up and it took much longer on the ADD person, the ADD kid. And the mold rage, I think, did go away. My autoimmune disease continued and my husband's 
came out later. My daughter, who was had the asthma in a year, she didn't have asthma anymore. And I look around, I think, how many kids are being exposed to mold, possibly, in the air that they breathe? That is why we have all this asthma. Like, wow. Or the kid that can't concentrate at school. Wow. And that came, I'll be honest, that one I didn't realize until like just a few years ago. <laughs> so that that was what I started to put the pieces together and say, oh, this kid, that must have been one. Because I didn't know it at the time. That I didn't know at the time. So fast forward and about five years ago, my husband got very sick and he actually got sick from an exposure outside from ground cloth. And if you research about mold, you'll see there's a lot of stuff about mold in grains, mold in farming and people's. I mean, that's really where the research is. And people say, oh, there's no research about that. It's harmful. Okay, look up horses. (laughs) Research what happens to horses that are exposed to mold in moldy hay. And they have neurological damage. So I look and I say, okay, if I can take down a horse, I'm going to pay attention. So my husband got sick from this ground cloth. We used to make an ice skating rink in our yard. And a great thing, but he was very busy one year and it was a late timing to get the ground cloth up. To pull it up, yeah. And so underneath was just full of mold. And it was a windy day and it took us a long time to realize, oh man, because he's getting tested and saying he was exposed to mold and I wasn't. And so I was like, okay, well, where was that? You got to trace back to the event. Well, yeah. It's like those moments where you wake up in the middle of the night and you go, that ground cloth. And other things, stressful job stressful job that he loved where he was traveling all over the world and not eating well. And it's always a lot of things, just like our health. So that was my journey. And then I ended up working for the wood industry and teaching and moisture. They were like, who can do moisture? Okay, well, I can. (laughs) So ever since 16 years ago, when my family was affected, every continuing education I go to when I have the choice is on building science. And this is not a recovery. That's like an uphill straight line. (laughs) So for my child that was affected when she was 10, she had to go to college. That's a mold-fested nightmare. And move her for, I think we've moved her at least four times in panic situations of health. So it's an up and down thing. The people that are sensitive stay sensitive, although they can become less sensitive and really live a normal life. But it's an ongoing challenge. And so you start seeing all this these challenges of the air quality, sick buildings. I mean, it's you can Google actually, or you can search online for molden hospitals and see pages and pages or other government buildings, daycare centers, fair houses. I have a presentation that I talk about all those things. So it's way more ubiquitous. You usually only hear about it in public projects because the private projects are, you're certainly not going to know about it. But there's a really famous one in Hawaii where it's a high rise that was a couple of years was completely full of mold. So client, you asked about my climate zone, climate matters. And so I, I've been learning as I go. I'm a perpetual student, but that's my story. So then my husband got sick like five years ago and I started researching about Lyme disease because that was one of the things that he was, came up that he was being affected by in an autoimmune disease. And I saw the connection to mold and because I was online on these social media things and I was looking about Lyme and people kept talking about mold in their buildings and what somebody told them. And I would start answering and help and say, who told you that? No, 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 no. That's not true. We don't get our wooden buildings from tropical rainforest countries. I mean, you might get your flooring from there, but the structure is not coming from a tropical rainforest country. And that's why it's moldy. No. And so people started tagging me and reaching out to me and the neck got out of hand. And so then I created a Facebook group myself 
to help people for free. And that now has 3,700 people in it, I think, and they just keep coming. And then I created a website, initially was not so good, but where I started answering questions in blog posts that are the same questions people are asking me. So I could just say, it's hard to do in a comment when it was going to be a couple page answer. So, okay, go to my blog post on this topic. Yeah. And to be thorough and to repeat yourself every time, that kind of thing. Do you still have those Facebook groups and the website going? Do you want to mention their... Uh... Yeah, my Facebook group is Avoiding Water Damage, Mold, and Toxins. Is it, There's no and, I think. Avoiding Water Damage, Mold, Toxins is the Facebook group. I have a public Facebook page, which is Cheryl Seco Architect. I have a YouTube channel, which is Cheryl Seco Architect as well. We're hoping to do a podcast in the future as well, but little by little. So it just grew. I actually got asked to do a presentation at a construct conference, the CSI construct conference in Austin. And I submitted a topic on dangerous buildings to talk about air quality in buildings primarily. And I got picked. I was like, oh man, I got to do this. And it was a lot of work. And I got anti up, yeah. Yeah, it was a lot of work. And it was very stressful for me because there's so much to know. And I know there's smart people that will be attending. And I have to have my ducks in a row if I'm attending. And people ask me a question, I got to know the answer. So it was very stressful. And there was basically a moment in that process where I was like, okay, if I'm meant to do this kind of a spiritual moment, then this better go well. Because otherwise, I'm going to go back to doing buildings, which is a little bit more relaxing. And I had the worst time slot. So I had, you presented, I had day three, Friday at 11 o'clock and the conference ended at noon. Yeah. It's like, nobody's going to come. And I had people saying, oh, I'd love to come. I'll stop in, this and that. And I'm like, oh, great. <laughs> well, the room was packed and nobody left. And my reception was really so great that I had goosebumps at the time. It's like, oh, shoot, I have to do this. <laughs> I think I have to keep talking about this. We spoke before about how this profession or this area of your current work chose you versus you choosing it. And that that makes so much sense here. But along the way, you must have encountered some things which brought up discourse, some things that were, we talked before the pre-conversation here about no absolutes and the complexities involved. What are some of the challenges you got when you started to present on this topic? I think confronting myths. So a lot of, I think what's happening, and this is where I think is unintended consequence of good things. So the sustainability movement, energy efficiency, yeah, it's all really a good thing. I have lead AP. I did all that stuff. And I'm definitely a fan of the environment. And they started seeing things and like, whoa. But then because we did this, there's an unintended consequence that's not wasn't considered because we did it quickly. And we were building, just like, say, building a Tesla. We build a Tesla in a factory with the same people showing up every day. And it's probably, we're wearing white jackets and it's probably very specific in how everything is being done. Procedures, parts, supply, training, QA, all that's right there. But we're trying to do that with buildings. We're trying to say, oh, you got to meet this metrics and that metrics and your air volume needs to be this and the air changes per hour have to be this. And But we're building them the same way we've built them forever. Exactly the same way. Only, I would argue, in some cases, with less technically savvy or career contractors. It's just sometimes it's like, so what did you do before you were a builder? Oh, I was a recruiter. Okay. <laughs> so we, the day of craftsmanship, we're like, ah, oh, that brick guy who did it in Europe and has all these skills where you could say, an architect could say, yeah, 
what's the best way to do this are, I think, not as easy to find. They are out there, but you're right. It is hard to find. Yeah. So anyway, so I think it's an unintended consequence of doing good things and requiring us to step back and say, yeah, that's all we need to keep pushing forward. But we also need to reevaluate what we've done and where we are and oops. So things like in certification where it says like, oh, opening windows is a great thing. Well, as somebody, what do you think about that in terms of HVAC design? So if everybody in every office can open their window when they want, then how do you design an HVAC system? And is it the same in Seattle as it is in Miami, as it is in Minneapolis or New York? But some of the things that we did early on was like, okay, everybody do this. And I've worked on projects and research projects and at clients. And my clients are all over. So right now I'm doing consulting. And which, because I don't have time to draw right now. And I just, my clients keep coming. And my clients are, I intended to want to work with the profession itself. And I thought, oh, I can't do this myself. I need to teach other professionals and share what I know with other professionals so we can have everybody doing this. And what I realized was that the people that were coming and were struggling were the clients themselves. And so I've basically pivoted because of professionals can get their education for free and I have to make money. (laughs) So it's not a business. Like there's only so much free Facebook page stuff I can do. And then I actually have to support myself. And I started finding that it was maybe there's a different way. And for me, I'm working with the consumer actually in hopes to drive the industry from the bottom. Because a lot of times the industry, well, people don't care about quality. Well, there is a population of people that do care. There is a population of people that want the air quality. Yeah, they care once they understand some of the complexities involved. So that's part of... And they've gotten sick. Right. They have the thing that motivates them to look into it, but they don't know where to go. They need to understand a little bit about building systems, a little bit about HVAC in order to ask the right questions that the professionals are working at and challenge them like you did with the mold duct cleaning people. Yeah. And so then I started making, I help people one-on-one all over the world, every price point. I mean, this is not like unique to people that have a certain price range of home, multi-million dollar homes and buildings. Sometimes I'm consulting on something that's an office building where, I mean, I've had huge homes in five, 10 years that are full of mold. And there's a lot of reasons why that happens. But my mission is to, one, to help people. I've been blessed. I'm doing well. My husband's doing well. My family's doing well health-wise, because of what I can do in terms of research, because of my background, because of what I know, because of my background. And for whatever reason, it happened to me. And I feel like I have a responsibility for whoever wants to know. (laughs) I'll share what I know and what I see. And let's talk about it, to your point in discourse and saying like, okay, well, did I miss something? And I said, well, there's some things I challenge. That is a challenge, is that I run across very smart people very well-meaning people. And sometimes I have to challenge some of the things that are understood. And that was the saying I was telling you about, it's not always what you know that matters, but what you don't know that just ain't so. We all have the ability, we believe certain things, and then at some point have to think for ourselves and start really going like, well, let's just revisit that or look at it backwards. As architects, we do that a lot. When we design, we flip things over. So our audience here on this podcast loves to dig into resources from what I can gather. We had mentioned your channels there as some different resources, the Facebook group, the website, the YouTube channel. Yeah, my website's avoidingmold.com. Avoidingmold.com, okay. 
you can also go to my name, but since I don't have a stage name and nobody knows how to spell my last name, we made avoidingwell.com. And so the, I do have online courses. I do do the consulting. So I've created things online. I have a lot of free stuff that I just, it's kind of me unplugged out and about and seeing things and pointing out things. It's like, okay, the building industry is really a lot of smart people. And there are avenues, I think, where some smart people haven't gone yet that it would be great to steer them in the direction of, let's talk about these issues. The problem, I think, partly is that the building, the mold issues, the air quality issues come up later down the road, five, seven years. And then by the time people figure out that's their health issue, because they just have autoimmune disease, or they have rheumatoid arthritis, or they have depression, or they have insomnia, or their kid has ADD, rashes. And it takes you a while to figure out, like, could it be where I'm something in my home? And then by then, the connection back to the builders, to the designers, is lost. And so really good people, including architects and engineers and builders, are thinking they're doing something that's all great. And that because there, it's really hard to follow up and say like, oh, wow. Although I do have some clients that have been builders that, like me, have something with their own home. And I know you just built your own home. And, and that's a great test situation for those of us that are in the industry, as it were. So being, again, some of the audience are technicians, can you talk a little bit about how you approached, you said you actually did the duct cleaning? No, I didn't do the duct cleaning. I researched how to do it. So I researched, and I have a webinar on that with actually the professional that I ended up hiring to do mine ultimately. And then he came on and we did a, an interview and he talked about what to look for and keep basically the systems. So we did do that. We were successful, as I said, but that was just one piece. So I've also sure. researched remediation and then all the building issues. And so I try to piece those out. In terms of, I think what's really interesting what you do and with the tools is that one of the things that I like that I'm finding with technicians and with contractors is that there's so many tools that we need to be using. We need to understand them and how they work and how to get people using them on a more regular basis. Yeah, they're in the codes, but who's enforcing the codes? Yeah. It doesn't seem to happen. And then the tools are largely governed by the manufacturers. Mm. And by competition, by the open market, there are very few tools that have specifications on. That's a rub for me, is that it's hard to make a decision between something that costs $100 or something that costs $700 and say it's the same thing because you don't know the difference. So the burden of research is upon you. There is no standard can point to. In rare cases, there are. Like for thermal imagers, there is one group that has set a standard for minimum resolution of thermal imagers so that you can get a quality of measurement out of it. That is challenging. Going back to the duct cleaning, just the high points of what the process was for you personally? Well, for me, it was a machine outside and it was really creating a vacuum. So what the guys didn't do that I threw out well, one, they had the camera and they weren't actually cleaning. They really need to seal it. So just like if you had a vacuum cleaner and you have a hole in your hose, you have no suction. If you get a kink in your hose, you have no suction to suck in the dirt that you're trying to vacuum up. So the same thing is true in the duct system. And I'm sure you probably can talk more to this than me, but it, you just seal everything up. So when you're cleaning one outlet, whether it's a supply or return, that can be the only thing opened. Everything else has to be completely sealed. And then they use equipment. The best equipment is something outside that is on a truck that's really powerful. In condos and apartments, obviously, you have to use something that ends up 
more portable. But that vacuum situation is one big thing that they weren't actually doing. In fact, when they left, they blew dust all over. And that's the nightmare that people are worried about is that, okay, is this going to make my house worse? And it truly did for me. Lesson learned. We did recover. We did clean. I got to work on researching. I think the other piece that was a lesson learned for me is that dust is everywhere. I mentioned that, like, how do you have mold in your ductwork? Okay. Well, what's the food source? It's not the metal ducts. Do you know what the food source is? Human skin cells? Yeah, that's one of them. I mean, it's dirt and dust. And what is dirt and dust? It's human skin cells. It's dust mites. Those are cute. You can look those up. Dead dust mites, so carcasses of dust mites, fecal matter of dust mites, carpet fibers, which isn't necessarily biological, but it just helps bind everything together, the skin cells, a hair, dog hair, cat hair, people hair. So all these things are, one, not healthy. There's nothing healthy about breathing that stuff. And it ends up in our heating ventilation systems. And then with condensation. There's the water. Yeah. So we have this humidity Big kahuna question out there about humidity. And the ducts are metal. Okay, they're either in a hot attic, they're in a cold crawl space, they're in a cold basement, they're in an unheated condition somewhere, and maybe they're not really sealed well. All these things can happen where, well, how that's how we have condensation in our ductwork. We just need air and humidity is relative. So I'm sure. As everyone watching this that does the HVAC stuff is, you know, okay, so it's 90% humidity outside and you want to cool the house to 70, you need 50 degree air, right? 50, 55 to blow through to end up having the room be. And so when you're cooling down 90% and 90 degrees outside and you got to cool it down to 55 and then blow it around, well, managing that moisture. And then what else is cold? <laughs> you know, it's like the understanding of, Okay, the ducts are cold. And even in flex ducts, they have those metal coils in them that are cold. And oh, sure, they're insulated. Well, are they insulated enough? Are they air sealed enough? And I think the biggest problems I see in the duct systems is in the climates where it's very humid outside. And there's a tendency to run all this stuff through unconditioned spaces, which yeah, I think that's not the code. I think the energy codes, they say specifically not to do that. Yeah, there's, you can, if you insulate them the right way, depending on the climate zone, I believe there's ways of burying the ducts that are allowed in some of the energy codes in some states to protect them from getting cold, like you said, or becoming a condensation surface, like the other point there. Something interesting that I found in my own home, a couple homes back, I called it a microclimate. There was one of those vinyl bags in a closet that was holding a dress or something. It was very close to the wall. And the wall had air leakage in it from the outside, and it was a winter time, and just pulled it back, and it actually stuck to the wall. The little zone in there had enough humidity, but enough condensation from the wall, and of course, there was all the mold in the air. That things started to grow on that. There was a patch of mold there. Just so now, it's in my mind now to keep everything away from the wall, give it an air gap, allow something to circulate behind it, because you just never know if you're going to get a condensation surface there. I just reviewed some drawings where they have a plastic vapor barrier in the wall. Oh, boy. Yeah. And there are places where people understand that to be the code. And that is probably the cheapest way to achieve the code. It should be a vapor retarder. Yes. Not a vapor barrier. And that idea of permeability gets lost. The analogy that for that, I would say, is, okay, you're going to go jogging. Are you going to wear a Gore-Tex 
windbreaker or a plastic bag. Right. You'll feel different. (laughs) Yeah. And so the other problem is, yeah, there's some climates where mostly that's what you're worried about is the water vapor in the house going out. But what if there's a leak? And we talked about this earlier that I feel like buildings are, they're a system and they're subject to life. They're subject to stuff happening. They're subject to possibly a human being have made a mistake in one place or sometimes the same mistake everywhere. (laughs) Or change or damage or that kind of thing. Right. On the system where there's a leak and somebody didn't know that, oh my gosh, that leaks or that there's an event, something happened, the caulk, we shouldn't rely on caulk as our only barrier, but that happens a lot. Oh, now the caulk is out or the grout is out or the wind driven rain is a different force. And then air pressure differentials. I know you have measuring tools for that. And that's a big thing. Are we bringing water in by capillary action just to pressure differentials? And we run these exhaust fans. And it's like, where is the makeup air coming from? Yeah. And now with HRVs and ARVs, and I know you put, what did you put in your house? Which one? A conditioning ERV. One with a heat pump in it. Yeah, I'd like to learn more about that. So we may have to talk more about that. Very cool. Very rare. It's a unicorn type device, but I found a manufacturer in Illinois, actually, that does this. Oh, I want to know about that because I get a lot of people are like, oh, well, I need to add fresh air to my home. And they're in South Carolina. Okay, we're just going to bring in all this humid air. And how is that going to end? Or in Minnesota, we're going to bring in all this I mean, I lived in Minnesota. My graduate degree is from the U up there, University of Minnesota. And it's like, it was 30 below, (laughs) like many days in a row. Very, very dry air. Very, very dry air and cold. Well, the dry, but it was cold. How do you keep your house? But the humidity, that's a whole other topic that is a big challenge because it's a relative term. As you know, and from your measuring tools, that is the, as the temperature drops, so the hum- right humidity when it's zero outside is going to be different than if it's 50 outside or 70 outside because the moisture that's going to turn into bulk water is at the dew point, of course, and say at zero, I don't care what kind of windows you have, but triple glazed, quadruple glazed, they only have so much insulation in a piece of glass and it's very conductive. So it, with a certain humidity, you're going to end up with bulk water. And that's the challenge is that glass of ice water on your picnic table, whether in a cold climate or warm climate, it ends up with a huge puddle. No, the glass didn't leak. And I think that's the concealed water damage that is contributing to the air quality. And so getting back to the ducks, what I think I'm seeing is that people are, oh, I got mold in my ducks. Well, where's the humidity? Is there somewhere else in your enclosure that you actually have mold spores in way too many numbers that are being drawn inside and end up being recirculated. And now they're just looking for new places to land that are the right condition. And so same thing with people have mold in their toilets. And I think, okay, that's a sign that there's a source somewhere that's sending out their baby spores (laughs) to look for more places to land. And the toilet's an optimal place. Because it's always wet and it's warm enough and there's, there. Yeah. And if you don't have that volume of mold in the air, then it's not usually a problem. So lots of little things to talk about. So One of the things when I first started to encounter mold in my career was about 30 years ago too. And I'll say over 30 and stop there. <laughs> <laughs> it was dealing with humidity measurements and I stuck in my brain the WWF, which might stand for other things for other people, but it's warm, wet, and food. 
there's always mold present, but you need the right temperature range, you need the right amount of moisture, and you need a food source. And there's going to be your potentials coming together. It's interesting, like, I don't know of any instruments to measure food. Maybe there are out there, the food source for mold, but the warmth and the wetness, the humidity level and the condensation planes and those kind of things. The WW is what we can focus on, we from our standpoint at TrueTech. I have presentations that I talk about that as a basic. That's why I talked about that the food source is dirt and dust because people often think, oh, we should use steel. Oh, you know, use steel studs and we won't have mold or we use paperless drywall and we won't have mold. Mm, No, (laughs) because you can have mold growing on any material because the food source is dirt and dust. What we can control is the moisture. And what we must control is the moisture. And that is coming in so many different places, whether it's the construction process itself, whether it's the occupants, whether it's events. And then I have actually a Moisture Basics online course that I just did recently, or just actually redid out of a webinar and turned it into a course that goes through really what I think are the things, putting it all together, basically, to try to get analytically to the point of, okay, why do we have these problems? We're not going to go back to drafty buildings. And there are people who suggest that, oh, my building needs to breathe. Yeah, no, I had a contractor say that too. No, 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 no. We don't want like mistakes to drive our building that there's all these mistakes and air is breathing right through there. No. And part of the condensation is that our drafty buildings used to be drafty in a thousand places. Okay. Now they're drafty in the 10 places that were overlooked or a mistake, but the volume of air coming through those 10 places and the volume of vapor coming through those, whether it's in or out, is the same as through those thousand of spaces. So now we have a high volume. But there's a project I know of in Hawaii where you think, oh, it's hot and humid outside, metal studs. I think it was a bank. Oh, they had mold. And the steel studs actually were corroded, completely rusted through because the warm, moist air got in. The steel studs are cold. Because it's air-conditioned. Yeah. And the condensation, just everything degrades with moisture. Right. Those points of control are something that we we always talk about, too, is infiltration versus ventilation. It's going to come from somewhere. Ventilation is under control, and infiltration is out of control. You don't know where. You don't know how much. You don't. And good building practices can minimize the infiltration points. Then you can have the control point of ventilation and begin to look at controlling that. It's a challenge, but I feel very hopeful that at least I'm involved in a lot of conversations that are starting to make sense and a lot of cross conversations. And like you said, the discourse and the challenges are there. Can you talk about in your present role, do you have any great, without naming names, but just sort of a quick, like a great project you've worked on and a project that was, you were called in because it was more of a disaster? Honestly, most of my projects are painful. <laughs> okay. So most of them disaster. I mean, I used to do projects that were fun, successful and great. I, that we're building. But recently, since I've been doing this for, which has only been about, I think, four years that I've been doing this, I get the problems. So in terms of great, yeah, it's when we solve it. When I have somebody that is sick and whether partly using my recorded stuff, so it's really affordable for them. And then with me doing consulting to fill in the pieces. So my goal is to fast track people to all the knowledge that I've been studying and to continue to study that I did to protect my own family, anybody can do to protect their family as well. But it's a combination of bringing in professionals. And we talked about a team. So I I have a build a safe home course. It's a mold safe home course. 
And that's for people building, which a lot of people are trying to figure this out. And it's basically go through the things where I see buildings failing, quite frankly. And to said, so if you can focus on some of those things, and then I can fast track people through their individual situation. You asked what climate zone I'm, I'm in. That's huge. If people are asking questions all the time, and the first question I said, well, where are you located? Because that makes a huge difference. And then things like the heating system and how it's designed and where it's going and the climate. I mean, I think I'm really going to be curious to know how your ERV with the conditioner works. Was that hard to find? I think I came across it at a home performance conference for the first time. I might have seen like an email from like the Green Homes Institute. So I'm always been the stream of thinking in these things. And what impressed me most was the inventor of it. It's called the Serve 2, the conditioning ERV. The company is Build Equinox in Urbana, Illinois. And it's a professor, or I think he's a retired professor from the university, mechanical engineering, HVAC, who developed this product for his own house, for his own passive house. And it's called the Equinox House, so that he could have maximum control over the ventilation area, eliminate infiltration, but knew he needed ventilation for fresh air. So within this device, and he actually was on the podcast too, but just quickly within the device, there's a heat pump and sensors. So there's a sensor for CO2. So that looks at air quality from the standpoint of the surrogate indicator of CO2 level being respiration means things are building up because people are active inside the environment, total VOCs and temperature and humidity. And you can set the air quality, the system to run when CO2 or VOCs reach a specific level. It's a smart system and it only runs what it needs to run based upon how you set it up. So it brings in air from the outside and will uses the heat pump that's inside the unit to either take away the energy or add energy to it. So it depends on the season of the year. So if it's warm outside, it's going to take the outgoing air, the stale air, and take the cooler air and transfer that through the heat pump to cool down the incoming air. So instead of a, a passive core, which has limitations in the physics, this is an active heat pump, always moving the air over. And it also has a condensate drain. So any condensate either from either coil will be collected and drained through an indoor drain system. That was my question was, does it have a dehumidification component? Yeah, it does. It sounds like if it has a condensate drain, it's somehow it's... So when you have... Is it humid where you must have humid? It can be. It's not like Louisiana, but it can be humid here. Well, Urbana definitely is because that's where I have my undergrad from the University of Illinois. So I'm really excited. They're doing good things. Somebody there is doing good things. So when the hum, because that's where I'm wondering if we have a one of these unintended consequences coming down the road where we have so many people putting in HRVs and ERVs and not understanding the humidity piece. And I'm always telling people, make sure you can turn it off. If it's raining outside and 99% humidity outside, you may not want to be bringing that air in. Right. Unless you have some form of dehumidification that you can also activate or has sensors in it or something like that. Right. But in a hot climate sometimes, so the system, and you'll have to tell me, this is where I would like to learn about it is, so the system's designed to something standard when you have your set and it's going to struggle at 100 degrees and it might be great at 90 in that kind of thing with certain humidity. But what changes when you have variable humidity being added on a consistent basis? Can it do that or do you, is it always a separate? And a lot of people in southern climates are putting in separate dehumidification 
Yeah. Actually, we, we are prepared to do that through the graces of the people at Ultra Air. I do have a separate dehumidifier that I just received and looking at putting that in the spring, analyzing the situation and putting that in. But yeah, this is not meant to dehumidify. It's meant to condition fresh air. That's what its goal is. But it has the capacity to cool and heat airstreams, and it has the capacity to dehumidify airstreams, but it's not meant to control those factors in a building. It's meant to control the best it can those factors in the ventilation air only. It's got limits to it, like a lot of things. <laughs> yeah, no, it's very intriguing to me. The dehumidification thing, so there are other reasons why people need to dehumidify, and that's kind of the system. So some people have like, I can never get my humidity down. Well, there's other places where the system, the enclosure can be taking on water, whether it's a shower pan that was incorrectly designed and is like a giant cesspool underneath the, the finish or a leak in a wall or a window that leaks all the time. Or foundation leak too. Foundation I mean, drainage is big. A whole module in my course on site drainage. If that's not done right to start, it's really hard to fix that. But if any kind of concrete foundation or concrete block is a giant sponge. Yeah. And that's always going to dry to the inside, always. So if you're going to have a wet sponge that's getting wet from the rain outside and it's always drying to the inside, sometimes that load and the impact on it, on the HVAC system, isn't what was designed. You didn't know you were designing your HVAC system for a pool spa. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's an additional source. Yeah, like a new construction, you may have the concrete curing yeah. For a basement slab or in the walls, perhaps for a better part of a year or more. And is that load factored into the HVAC? If not, you have excess moisture for a couple of years that your system can't control. So it's just, it's so complicated. <laughs> no, I mean, finished basements. I have a lot of finished basements. So you asked about projects. I think I enjoy the variety of projects that I have. Again, every price point and for me, it's when someone has success and they recover their health and when they appreciate what I do and they support what I do and they continue to share with other people. I always tell people, if you learn something, turn around and help somebody else. Tell somebody. And so when I see people in my group, for instance, in the Facebook group, and they're helping someone else with something that, that was something I was originally teaching, that's where I feel like it's worth it. And that stuff- yeah, might, You've had impact. Yeah. That ah, people know to extend their downspouts. And they're talking about it and such a simple thing, such a simple thing, but makes a big difference. So we've arranged quite a bit in our conversation. I really enjoy the dialogue and I really sincerely do want to have you back. And you had mentioned that you either have or are going to consider doing a podcast and I'd be happy to come on and ramble on myself about topics that are near and dear to my heart. Yeah, that'd be great. We're actually thinking of a summit too, so you would be perfect. Because I've been trying to think of who I need people in the HVAC, and maybe you know other people as well. If there's other people that are interested, in yeah, shoot, shoot me a list of your topics. Yeah, reach out to me because I'm looking for people that this is something that is near to dear to their heart, and that they would like to contribute or enjoy the dialogue. I think. What's the best way to reach out to you? As you mentioned. Through my website, avoidingmold.com, you can find contact information there. My email is Cheryl at avoidingmold.com. So you can contact me via giving you out my email. And if I do get a ton of people reaching out and so if don't make it per if I didn't respond, reach out again. I need to say that that's part of my business is I got the bull by the horns and it just grew a lot without and I'm still trying to manage that. 
and I don't want to be that person that loses track of correspondence, but it's a challenge. So it's, it's embarrassing when I take a screenshot and people see how many unread email messages I have. It's just yeah. I mean, link in to me on LinkedIn and message and just put something in the note. I don't link into everyone because a lot of people are trying to sell stuff to me too. But if you saw me here and it's, this topic is interesting, then mention that. And yeah, absolutely. I'll link in with you or join my follow me on my Facebook page or my YouTube channel. But email is probably the best way. So again, thank you so much. I think it's been very interesting. I think you're the second architect I've spoken with. Oh, really? Oh, I have to find out who you've spoken with. The, the doctor. Dr. Stephanie Taylor. Well, she has an architecture degree, but she wasn't actually a licensed architect. No, 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 no. So that's, but it's interesting where this podcast is taking me and taking itself. So again, it's got a mind of its own, but I love it. I love it. Thank you. Oh, good. I hope so, because I know it's like, oh, my brain is a million places trying to focus. You're fun to talk to, and you have some great resources, which we're going to share. We'll do some posting on this and look forward again to keeping the dialogue going outside of this and also to having you come back again on the Building HVAC Science Podcast. Great. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. It's been great meeting you. Same here. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Building HVAC Science Podcast. There's other great trade-related resources and influencers out there, including the HVACR School, HVAC Shop Talk, HVAC Reefer Guy, Stephen Reardon's work, Tool Pros, Service Business Mastery, Quality HVAC, HVAC Overtime, HVACR Videos, and HomeDiagnosis.tv. And of course, Jim Bergman on the MeasureQuick YouTube channel. Some of the topics we discuss require technical training for proper interpretation or safe execution. So if you're a trained pro, go right ahead. If you're not, please consult with and hire a pro. The Building HVAC Science Podcast is a production of True Tech Tools Limited. Website is www.truetechtools.com. Thank you. Take care until next time from the Building HVAC Science Podcast. <laughs>